wind blowing toward right field. If Alex could find something to pull, get it in the air, he would get some help. Familia's next pitch. Belted to deep center. Back goes Lagares. And gone, Alex Gordon. In comes the pitch. Broken bat, one hopper to third. And over to first in time. Runner going to try to score. Wild throw. Hosmer gambling that he could dash home on the throw to first base. And the Royals have tied the game. For the very best in baseball, this is the place you want to be. Let's get it going on the Locked On Royals podcast on the Locked On Podcast Network, your teams every day. I'm your host, Ryland Styles. You can follow me on Twitter at Rylan underscore Styles. It's at R-Y-L-A-N underscore S-T-I-L-E-S. And the Kansas City Royals have a new manager this season. They hired former Cardinals skipper Mike Matheny to take over for Ned Yost. So who better to discuss this hire and preview the new division rivals with the St. Louis Cardinals than Matt Graves, site expert at RedbirdsRanning.com. Matt, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm pretty well. I'm just glad that we've got got some baseball to talk about. I was going to say, no more negotiation talk, please. So let's dive into Mike Matheny, and then we're going to preview you know, the NL and AL Central at the end. But you know, just take us through for a second. What do you remember, and what was it like watching Mike Matheny you know, be a manager day in and day out of the Cardinals? Uh, well, let me first start by saying he's – a really, really good man. Like you can, you cannot fault his character off the field, but at times it did, especially at the end, it got very frustrating to watch him manage on the field. Um, that being said, I, I think he's going to do great with the Royals. Um, it, it all comes down to it for me, what he's going to learn, but back with the Cardinals, at the beginning, he was really, really doing a good job. Uh, he took over in 2012, and then in 2013, uh, both years took us to the playoffs and took us to the World Series in 2013 and kept going 2014, 2015. His first four years, we made the playoffs, which is great to see, and you can't ask for anything better. Um, but from there, I think it kind of went downhill, but uh, nothing too bad remembering back on Mike Matheny. So you mentioned that it was a little bit frustrating at the end, and I'm glad you pointed that out because Mike Matheny does seem like a very, a very great guy. But what were some of those issues in St. Louis that led to uh, his firing? So on the field, at times he had a bit of a short leash with players. Uh, and you look at a guy like Colton Wong, where he was kind of boomer bust at times his first few years in the league. And then uh, it, it kind of – the frustrations came to a head with Matheny because he even came out and said in interviews where he said, you know, I feel like right now there's no better second baseman on the field, but I feel like if I have an 0 for 4 game, I'm going to be on the bench for three days. Um, so that was frustrating at times. Uh, his bullpen management was frustrating at times where he would overuse certain guys and leave other guys completely alone. Um, and he, he definitely had his favorites here. Then uh, one example that fits perfectly for this uh, is in 2014 in the NLCS against the uh, San Francisco Giants. Michael Waka came in in the bottom of the ninth inning in game five 
when the Cardinals were down three to one in the series. He had not pitched since September 26th. He'd been injured. First in-game action, he comes in bottom of the ninth in a tie game, single, walk, home run. We're out of the playoffs. And there were plenty of other guys that were available, and uh, he just went back to one of his guys. So I think that's a perfect microcosm of some of the frustrations we saw. So you touched on this in your in your first question, but I want to ask you, as someone who followed Mike Matheny's career, his entire managerial career in St. Louis, take yourself out of being a Cardinals fan, and, and for a minute, just what would you say today if your team hired Mike Matheny? For me, when the, when the hire first came out, uh, we all kind of expected it in Kansas City because he took on that advisory, advisory role within the organization, and it kind of felt like they were grooming him. But for me, I looked at it, and I thought, this is pretty much a stopgap hire. He's going to be an, an energized guy. He's going to bring energy. He's going to try to help the young guys as best he can. But by the time that this team is ready to compete, he will no longer be at the helm. Now, I've kind of backed off that a little bit just from hearing the way that Dayton Moore talks about the hire and hearing the way that Mike Matheny talks about what he's learned from St. Louis and what he's learned from Dayton Moore. Um, and I was really high on Pedro Grafal, but that also, you know, that obviously did not happen. But what would you think if you were a Royals fan, what would you think about a Mike Matheny hire today? Well, I think it all comes down to what you're talking about of what did he learn from his first managerial stint? Uh, and obviously when he came in in 2012, he hadn't had any experience as a manager. He was a catcher for the Cardinals in the mid two thousands, but uh, you know, he's a, he's a macho kind of stoic guy. And uh, it, I think this was a, his time in St. Louis was a very humbling experience. And I don't think he's a stopgap guy because of all the experience that he has in the playoffs. But it all comes down to can he fix what was wrong? If, if he was talking and said, you know, this is what I've learned, this is what I'm going to change, uh, then I would be very, very happy about it. But if he was still sticking to, uh, using some kind of some of the same language that he used here of, mm, I, I don't want to say lack of humility, but sort of maybe a rigidity in his style and, and uh, not being as willing to change, then I think that would scare me. But if he's talking like you're saying he's talking, then uh, I mean, I would be excited. There's everyone works differently in different situations. And I think, Matheny learning from Yost for a year or two or however long he was in that advisory role uh, was going to be great for his development as a manager. Yeah. And I think that what you're saying is getting a lot of fans listening to this excited about this hire where they otherwise might not have been. It's getting me more excited about this hire because you are right. You know, you take a step back and, and you look at what he did in St. Louis. There was a lot of good uh, despite that frustration that that Cardinals fans felt. And obviously the front office felt as well. Uh, and to hear, uh, Everyone from from Matheny himself to people around Matheny say that he's truly um, taken a step back. He's truly evaluated himself and and has humbled himself and has tried to get better throughout these years. You know, as an advisor and, and coming into spring training, uh, it has to get you excited, especially with what you're saying. If, if you can still believe in him, I think that a lot of Royals fans should as well. Well, yeah. Let me let me just touch on one more thing that I think is the biggest thing that will be either. Uh, it'll decide his success. And that comes to the clubhouse. And I don't know how much you've heard about the end of his time here in St. Louis. Um, but it's starting with, there's the Wong stuff where he didn't feel like he had the confidence of his manager. Uh, towards the end, he also 
like it was just his leadership style stopped working with the players and he completely lost the clubhouse and it got kind of ugly to the point where in 2018, you know, uh, Dexter Fowler had his worst season as a player in his career. Um, but it got to the point with Fowler and Matheny where they would not talk at all other than the daily text that included the lineup that uh, Matheny sent to a group chat of all the players. So they completely fell out. And, you know, obviously as a leader, you can't let that happen. Um, as soon as you start to lose the clubhouse, your time is near, uh, especially most of the time when you go between a player who like Fowler, who they had just signed for five years uh, and a manager, you're the manager is going to be the one who's going to uh, draw the short end of the stick there. Yeah, especially, you know, for a market like Kansas City. And and that was something you can uh, love or hate Ned Yost as a manager and, and some of his um, thought process when it comes to baseball. But one thing that was undeniable was that he was a great clubhouse guy. He was great keeping the clubhouse together. And, you know, for a team like Kansas City, you're not going to have the stars uh, that, that you can rely on. You're going to have to have a, a group of guys that love playing together and for their manager uh, and, and really mix that with their talent the same way they did in 2014 and 2015. Those guys, you know, Hosmer and Moose, they weren't stars, uh, but they all came together. Kane, they all pl- came together. They played baseball and they played for each other. And, and it sounds corny and sappy, but that's really how you win in small markets. And they're going to need a, a good clubhouse leader. So I do think that what you're saying is spot on. He's going to have to grow from that because you look at even a more recent example, Gabe Kapler with the Phillies. I mean, that team had talent. That team had ability, and they got off to that, that hot start. And I know that injuries played a bit of a role in that, but a, a, a bigger picture thing was guys playing Fortnite in the, in the clubhouse during, uh, during games and guys you know, not listening to Kapler and, and just at all falling apart in Philadelphia. As long as that doesn't happen, though, I think that, the Royals did make a good hire here. Yeah. And I mean, there can, it can go the other way too, where we, one of the times we saw with Matheny, another issue uh, was back in, I I believe it was 2018. um, The Cardinals had Bud Norris, who was a longtime veteran. uh, And he was hazing Jordan Hicks, who was a rookie who jumped up from a ball up to the big leagues. And Matheny knew it was happening. And, uh, I don't exactly, I don't want to paraphrase too much of what he said, but I get, in a way, he let it happen or sanctioned it, uh, which was not a good look and was just another time where he lost the clubhouse. So it goes both ways. It's all about can he find the sweet spot there. Yeah, that, that's going to be very important to balance. And that's almost the most important role of a manager that you know many people think that it is. And, and like you're saying with the young guys, you know, for, for Kansas City to win, it's going to take these young pitchers, it's going to take these young players to eventually come up here and perform very well. But do you have any final thoughts on Mike Matheny before we shift into this season? No, I think that's it. I'm, I'm excited to see it. I'm happy for him um, getting another opportunity. It's just all about if he can adapt or not for me. I have one more quick question before we move on, actually. Um, the energy. The energy has been prevalent from the, you know, the – fan fest in January throughout the time we had in spring training. Is that something that he sustains or is that just, you know, what everyone has that, that first jolt of a new job or was he always energetic throughout his time in St. Louis? I think that's a big change because when I think back to Mike Matheny, I don't know if energetic would be one of the words I would use. Uh, He was really, really just 
stoic as a manager here. And, and I think that is probably a good thing where players might have thought that, you know, he didn't have their back because he wasn't showing it because he wasn't out speaking. He wasn't talking to them as much as he should. And if he's being energetic and outspoken about it, then that's great to see. We're talking to Matt Graves of Fansided at RedbirdsRants.com. And Matt, this season should be you know, heading in the right direction, as you mentioned earlier, as we're passing the negotiation point. But with the COVID and with things spiking right now, how confident are you that this season actually takes place? Uh, I like to think I have uh, blind confidence at this point. Um, even if I, I think it'll be more acceptable if the season gets canned because of COVID rather than because they couldn't agree on something. So I, I think we're already over a big hurdle as far as the long-term health of the game. I, I would put it at probably 70% right now. I know uh, Buster Olney said on ESPN uh, a few days ago that he's, his confidence was at 5% that they even get started. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not there, but I, I think it's definitely scary what we're seeing right now. Yeah, the, the blind confidence is something that, that is put so well because I'm not a virus expert. I don't think you're a virus expert. Uh, so I, I've been on this podcast saying, look, I, I understand I'm aware of, of COVID. I'm taking it extremely seriously. Some people listening to this, if I told them everything I'm doing, might think I'm taking it too seriously. Uh, but for me and for my job, I'm going to just preview the season as if it's happening. I'm not going to lead off every show with, well, I don't know if baseball will happen because of COVID. I'm going to just talk about this season until they tell me to stop and that the season is canceled. I don't think it really does any good to, you know, cancel a season before it happens. So for right now, there is baseball and we're going to talk about baseball. Yeah, why not? Why not? Enjoy it. Fall in love. Uh, I think all of us were starting to kind of get frustrated. Even as a writer, we, we were still writing, still talking, still thinking about it. And at a certain point talking about negotiations just gets old and, you start to lose the love for it a little bit, a little bit. Uh, but I, the thought that in now three days on Friday, we could have baseball being played at Kaufman, at Bush, even if it's just spring training, that by itself is just extremely exciting. It's a breath of fresh air. And you mentioned Kaufman and Bush, and, and now the, the Royals and Cardinals are not only just rivals based on proximity, but now they're going to play a lot more games against each other uh, within the NL and AO Central as we're going to play a regional schedule uh, this season to kind of limit travel aimed with the COVID virus. But first, I want to get your thoughts as an NL guy, as a Cardinals fan, the DH. I love it. I love having the universal DH, but what is your opinion as someone who's watched the Cardinals forever? I'm not quite as uh, anti-DH as some of our readers are and as some of our uh, commenters on Facebook are. I think, I mean, it's fun to watch pitchers hit sometimes, but also when you look at the way that the Cardinals are currently constructed, it helps a lot because when you have guys like Tommy Edmond, you have a top prospect like Dylan Carlson and all these other young outfielders, the idea of playing Matt Carpenter and Dexter Fowler just because they're veterans, and I, and that, that, I mean that more towards Fowler and, and because of his contract more than Carpenter because Carpenter, well, both are still okay, but when you take them and put one of those two in the DH spot, it opens up a whole nother world of options and uh, places for creativity that 
are all better than uh, a pitcher hitting. So how do you view this Cardinal season? Because I've heard a lot of people you know, be, go one of two ways with, with this Cardinals team. Uh, to me, they're the division winners to me, in my mind, with the NL. Uh, but, but as someone who's on the inside with the Cardinals, what are you looking at? What is your expectation for St. Louis? I think it all comes down to Mike Schilt's ability to adapt because even, and this was even something that Matheny had at times, we saw Harrison Bader last year, obviously fantastic defensively, but with the bat, there was a period about 60 days where he was batting under 200 starting every day in center field. And it finally took until the middle of July or August. I'm not, I can't remember correctly uh, for them to finally give him a reset at triple a and in a 60 game season you can't let someone who's hitting 200 regardless of their defense you can't have that uh, consistent black hole in the lineup and it's something where if Mike Schilt can't adjust and it it is a fine line because you can't sit a guy after one bad game but you also can't plan for two weeks because that's you know a third of the season almost or yeah uh, it's just it all comes down to ability to adapt. So who do you view in the NL Central? And this is, of course, very prevalent to the Royals now as these leagues are going to be playing each other nonstop. Who do you view as the biggest threat to the Cardinals? Because I think that they are the best team in, in that division. But I think that the Reds have made a ton of great moves, and they're honestly my number two in this division. But for you, in the NL Central, who do you view as the biggest threats? Well, I think it's definitely the Reds and the Cubs. The Brewers had more than half their roster overturn so I don't I don't have any idea because even in that overturn they still didn't prioritize pitching which was their uh, Achilles heel last year the Reds added a ton of talent this winter they're scary they probably would be my number one right now in the NL Central and I'm not too proud to admit that that's just scary the Cubs their lineup uh, last year barked more than it bit but you never know when Chris Bryant's going to explode and go and have another you know, 50%, 40, 45, 50% above average offensive season. Same with Rizzo, Bryant, or Rizzo, Baez, and Schwarber. It, they, they've got a scary lineup. Um, but I definitely would see the Reds as the biggest opponent for the Cardinals right now. Yeah, so for me, you know, you're right. The, the, the On paper, the Cubs lineup look, looks really good, but I really need to see them implement it again and actually be gelling together again. The Brewers, you mentioned the turnover. That's why I don't really view the, the Brewers as this force, you know, in this division. And then you get down to the Pirates, who no one expects to be any good. So with that in mind, I think that one wildcard spot from both the AL and NL will come out of the central just due to the number of beatable teams. You look at each division and the twins are the best ball club in the AL central, but the Indians are beatable. The white Sox had a great off season, but they're still beatable. The Royals are absolutely beatable. The tigers are absolutely beatable. <laughs> uh, and then you, you move on down the line in the NL central. No one's deathly afraid of the Cubs. You don't have a great, a great lineup on paper. Nobody's scared of the brewers and the, and the pirates. So I think that just by the nature of having so many games against beatable teams, we're going, to see an, a wild card out of the central for both leagues compared to the east you know especially the AL east and the NL east where you have great teams top to bottom they're going to be fighting it out outside of the Marlins they're going to be fighting it out in Orioles they're going to be fighting it out and trying to get the division win over there because we're going to in the central we're going to be taking up a wild card spot in our division in our uh, divisions yeah well let me let me ask you when you look at the Cardinals what are you are you scared are you uh like what do you see with that 
Jack Flaherty, you know, I, I like Jack Flaherty a lot. I, you know, I don't think it's, I don't think it's like going up against the Yankees per se, you know, like if you go up against the Yankees or the, or the Rays roster, you know, top to bottom, they are a lot better than you in most cases. I mean, they're, they're, the Yankees and Rays are not going to up against teams that are better than them, uh, but the Cardinals just seem to have the pitching and they seem to have a, you know, a, a good enough offense uh, to me to get it done in the central. Yeah. And it's all about, and nobody knows what this is going to look like, but in, in 2019, the offense was definitely the weak point, but you also saw players like Matt Carpenter, like Paul Goldschmidt have their, and even, or even Harrison Bader have their worst seasons at the plate in their career. And, you know, all of them have reasons why they might bounce back and they have reasons why they might not. And it, it's, there's just a ton of ifs and that's the exciting thing, but that's also the scary thing. And I think that that's the exciting thing for the central, especially because there are, there are so many what ifs. Like, I mean, you look at the twins and they're undoubtedly the best team in my mind in the AO central, but do you, are you afraid of the twins? Are you saying that, Hey, you know what, if the Cardinals play the twins, they're going to lose the series. They're, they're just automatically going to lose the series. You're, you're not going to say that. I don't think. Well, tell me, I mean, are they going to continue to hit all the home runs that they hit last year? I, I mean, that's, yeah. that's the big question. Was that an outlier or was that the real deal? Exactly. And then they add Josh Donaldson to that lineup. And, you know, did the pitching staff in Minnesota get that much better? Uh, whereas if, if the Royals were to take on the Yankees tomorrow, that's a, that, that series is done. I mean, be, I mean, baseball can happen, absolutely. But that series is done. You know, and that's what's going to be so exciting for the Centros because every team's going to feel this way. But you look at these, these, you look at these series, yeah, they might be more talented on paper, but is it automatically over for, it for, the, for a team like the Royals if you go up against the Cardinals? I would still pick the Cardinals to win, but I don't think it's automatically over if the Royals can you know, get hot with their bullpen and get hot with their young pitching. And then I think that they have a pretty competitive lineup already, but that's going to be the beauty of the Central, I think, and that's going to be why they're going to lock up a wildcard spot in each division, and really they're going to hurt good teams from the West and from the East. Yeah, and when, when you look at your own division um... – where do you see yourself finishing or the Royals finishing? So it's a, it's a bit of a cop-out answer, but anywhere really, because I don't think that this team is, is terrible. I, I think that that narrative got spun uh, early and then it's been regurgitated as kind of a lazy take. And I'm nothing, I'm, I'm not a homer at all. I've actually been accused of being a hater of this team for some reason, but in January, I called this team last year's Texas Rangers. And if you remember last year's Rangers through 60 games, they were in the playoffs but you play out the rest of the, the schedule and they end up with like 78 wins. So I thought that that's what, that's what was going to happen in January. And now we're only playing the 60 games. So, so what if you do yeah. get a hot 60 game start like the Rangers did? I think that ultimately this team will finish um, third. I, I'm not high at all on the Indians. And I think that either the Indians or the White Sox who had a great offseason will be one of those teams that just can't get it going at, you know, at the start of things. And I think that they can finish third at the most. I don't think there's any way that they finish below the Tigers though. So, you know, between three and four is, is realistic what's going to happen. Uh, but I'm not counting, I'm not counting out a wild card run, which is, which is what makes the season so much fun for teams like the Royals who weren't expected to compete. But now you can talk yourself into them getting a wild card spot. And in Kansas City, We've seen once you get into that wild card game, anything can happen. Yeah, exactly. Especially when you guys have guys like Solaire and Hunter Dozier that both are grossly under talked about uh, in terms of how much power. If they get on a hot streak, they could power you for two weeks, which again, a third of the season, that might all be all you need. 
And then you have Whit Merrifield in the mix, who's, who's one of the best hitters in the AL, not, not for power, but just overall hitter. If Mondesi can stay healthy, which he hasn't been able to do in his career, he gets on base. It's another lethal weapon on the base path that you can drive in with guys like Dozier and Solaire. You know, and, and then in spring training, you know, I'm sure that you haven't kept up with it that much with the Royal side of things, but they had great performances from Trevor Rosenthal, Josh Stone, a lot of surprise bullpen guys that if that translates, which we don't know if it will, but if that translates into this year, it, it's going to be awesome. And I think that that's where the Royals are in a better position as a fan base than St. Louis is because I say it because of this, if the Royals lose, does anyone care? I mean, truly, does anyone care? And outside of Kansas City, we're just going to say, well, this year is about developing anyway. We weren't expected to, we weren't expected to go to the playoffs. And our goal this year, you know, back in December, let's just not lose 100 games again. Uh, but if the Cardinals lose in a 60-game season, you're going to be living and dying with every pitch because this is a football season. You've said it multiple times, a two-week stretch in a 60-game season is detrimental. Whereas in a, in a 162-game season, you'd still be writing about, hey, guys, calm down. It's a marathon. Relax. And now you're basically playing football in baseball. These games matter so much more. And so I think that the stress will be awesome for teams that, that are in the, in the hunt, but it'll also be, you know, stressful whenever you're the Yankees and Rays and Cardinals and teams expected to win. If you get off to a, a very slow start, or if you scuffle a little bit in the middle, you're in the danger zone already. Yeah. I guess you guys aren't uh, cursed with expectations at the same <laughs> exactly. level. Um, but I will say that's one thing Mike Matheny has said he loves to win. And, and that's, I mean, that's obviously super cliched hearing it come out of my mouth, but that's one thing where if anyone's motivated to win, it's, it's Mike Matheny and he's going to, he's going to share that with the rest of the team. Um, and if you don't mind me continuing to make this about the Royals, do you think there's any chance uh, Brady Singer comes up this year? Yeah, he was still in big league camp whenever coronavirus, you know, wiped him out. And awesome. They, awesome. they expected him to not make the opening day roster because that would have just been stupid baseball, as you know. Uh, with, with one of the last years you can do this before the new CBA of manipulating service time, they were going to manipulate his service time and then, uh, you know, and then call him up. So I think that they're still going to do that. But I think that we will see Brady Singer up here. Hey, but in this season, that's seven days. Yeah, seven days. Awesome. All you got to wait. And then uh, you get Brady Singer for another season. So. <clears throat> we're doing the same thing with Dylan Carlson, which is kind of the big X factor for us. Uh, we just had John Brebbia go down with uh, Tommy John. So looking at guys like Ryan Helsley, Genesis Cabrera, even our old uh, top 100 or top 10 prospect in the league, Alex Reyes. Uh, he's finally healthy. He's finally free of the curse of expectations and uh, healthy. And uh, I, that, that's just more, more what ifs. So it's, it's, it's really exciting. And you mentioned uh, Mike Matheny wanting to win. He's already said that consistently in Kansas City, as has Dayton Moore. So within the locker room, within the clubhouse, they do want to win. But I'm, I think that if they are losing, if they're a losing ball club, you're not going to turn on this podcast or baseball tonight or like, go to any blogs and see people, what's going on with the Royals? Why are they, why are they losing? What's happening with, you know, with the same way you will if the Cardinals or Yankees scuffle? So in a way, the pressure's off. Uh, but then if you get hot, it's going to be very, very fun for 60 games because you're truly in the mix. You shouldn't – no team should be eliminated from the mix – for a, for basically the whole season, really. Yeah, and even I, I I haven't put it on paper yet, but I also think this is one of the easiest and least painful seasons that you will ever have to tank, which I know is that word is blasphemy in St. Louis. Um, but I'm just saying 
if you can sacrifice 60 games to get a top 10 pick, the Cardinals haven't had a top 10 pick since 1998 when they drafted J.D. Drew. So it's, uh, it, it's somewhat, somewhat tantalizing. Now, now that's interesting. So a team like the Cardinals, you're expected to win. And I've thought about this as well with, with teams that don't normally get those top picks. Let's say the Cardinals start the year with the Royals. They open up with the Royals. Then they go, then they go take on Cincinnati, and then they go take on Chicago. And they, they barely win the Royals series. Let's call it, you know, well, you know, let's call it 2-1 in a three-game set. And then they drop the series to the, to the Reds and to the uh, Cubs. And you're kind of in the, on the outside looking in already. And then you start pressing and maybe you drop a couple more games. Would you want to tank and just say, look, this season might not even finish, first of all. And then it might not, you know, whenever we, if we did go and make a run and if the World Series champion was crowned, there might be a ton of people that still call it an asterisk. Why not go get the, one of the top talents in next year's draft? Or do you think, let's just continue to go for it? Yeah, I mean, I think that's, that's, a, that's a completely fair argument. I think... I think that 2020 for the Cardinals needs to be about figuring out what they have. And that's what it was going to be about from the beginning, but they can't let a shortened season get in the way of that. And what I mean by that is you have Harrison Bader, you have uh, Tyler O'Neill, and you have Lane Thomas in the outfield. Obviously you're going to play Dexter Fowler. He's got two years left and he, he was above average. He's had career highs and home runs and RBIs last year. Uh, and, and, if you ask most fans on Facebook, they would have said he batted 130, but he was above average by weighted runs created. Um, so he, he's going to be playing right field, whether you like it or not. And we've got these young guys. They're all 24, 25. Bader's been above average, below average, and then way below average. And it's all, all about figuring out that what, what he's going to be at the plate. You got to figure out what Lane Thomas is, who played for, you know, he had, he appeared in 30 games last year, but hit fantastically and then hurt his got hurt and was out. Uh, Tyler O'Neill hasn't uh, gotten any extended stretch where he's the starter for the Cardinals other than July of last year, where he hit over 300 because Ozuna was out. Um, and in a 162 game season, that's a lot easier to figure out because as soon as one of those guys falters and you see, Oh, okay. He's more of a fourth outfielder. He's not a starter. Dylan Carlson, come up. You're our left fielder. In a 60-game season, I would almost argue that figuring that out, figuring out what you have, and even to see if Tommy Edmonds the real deal because he can play some outfield, he can play some third base, so he can play anywhere. That is almost more important long-term than winning in 2020. And I don't feel like that's uh, super outlandish because if you go into 2021 and you still are banking on, oh, well, we got to start the season. We can't call Dylan Carlson a starter, top 10 prospect by Baseball America. Uh, I think that's a complete failure. You got to figure out what you have and then you have to pick a way to go from there. And if that is the outcome of 2020 and you end up going and finishing behind the Pirates, then so be it. At least you know what you're going to be going into 2021. If that ends up where you are in a wild card spot, fantastic. 
So I, I want to quickly get your take here on the Royals because it does sound like that you've done your research on Kansas City. And I want to just know if I'm crazy based on an outsider's perspective because I've had the beat writers on, but, you know, we're all in the weeds of, of the Royals to where it's kind of hard to look past all of that. So as someone on the outside, I look at this team, I see a competitive lineup, I see a, a decent pitching staff with the potential to be, you know, with potential to be a little bit above average with young pitchers coming up. And again, I just go back to last year's Rangers. Through 60 games, you're on fire. And then if it was a normal season, you'd tail off, and that would be the end of it. You'd you know, win 78 games and feel good about yourself. But how do you view this Royals team? And is it, is it crazy to think that they could sneak into that wild card? No, not at all. I mean, you guys are definitely not the Tigers. <laughs> I think you have a better track record than the White Sox as far as the young guys that you do have are a little more – experienced. I mean, Whit Merrifield's still young. Mondesi's still young. So Laren Dozier, I mean, it all comes down to Dozier and, and if he's, you know, the real deal. Um, but you guys could surprise the White Sox who I think are going to be very, very scary very soon as are you guys, but uh, they might falter. And then the Indians, I, you know, it's, it's weird because Jose Ramirez really was awful the first half and then picked it back up the second half. And of course, you know, Lindor, but the Indians also aren't going to have Corey Kluber anymore. So they have a lot of question marks for themselves. I think the twins are probably pretty easy bets to win the division, but beyond them, I'm not as familiar with the West and the East, but it's going to be, can you beat out, uh, someone, cause I, I mean, and tell me if I'm wrong, but in the East you're thinking Yankees, Rays, Red Sox, right? Yeah. Okay. Pretty easy. And, and the mean, Red Sox Jays could surprise are, are really, you know, the Red Sox have really taken a huge step back due to losing sale to that, you know, Tommy John injury, trading away price. They have no pitching staff. No one expects them to be in the conversation, but in a 60 game season, they're right back in it. Blue Jays, you're right. Very young. Uh, and I will say, you know, comparatively here when the Rays aren't playing the Yankees and the Blue Jays two you know two good teams and a young team and then playing that lethal Red Sox lineup which is still great they're playing the Braves they're playing the Mets they're playing uh, you know the Phillies they're playing uh you know all those NL East teams that are still better on paper than most of the Central yeah that that AL East is really really scary <laughs> um or just the, the the whole Eastern schedule is scary but I mean you also are going to have to if you're going for for wild card spot, you're also going to have to worry about either the A's or the Angels out west. Um, and they've got to match up with you know the Dodgers and the, the Diamondbacks are always pretty scrappy, you know. And and within their own division, the Rangers, you know, had a good off season that maybe they could take that next step. You never know. So I think that it's I think nothing's off the table really. I yeah, I think there's no way you guys are not in it until the final week. That's what I, I mean. That's what I'll say about the majority of these kind of iffy teams, you know, I'm sure the Brewers, I'm sure the uh, Cubs, I'm sure the Cardinals will be in it until the final week. And that's what's going to make part of, or that's part of what's going to make 2020 so exciting to watch as a fan of baseball is because it's going to be a completely different mood around the game. Of course, with that huge caveat of if it's not all overshadowed and ruined by COVID. So one more question. I appreciate all your time. This has been awesome, but for you, does this 
season, will this season show that maybe we do need to reduce some games in baseball? Not, not down to 60, but just cut some games out because with each game mattering, I think it could create that intense environment game in and game out. Now it's a shame that, that we won't be able to feel it in the stadium, but I think that you could see people living and dying on blogs, on Twitter, on podcasts, on, you know, TV, living and dying with, with pitches after pitches and games after games. Whereas in a normal season, you probably don't get that emotion and connection until you know the dog days until the stretch run to the postseason even though every game you know people say that but if you're only a game back of the wild card and you drop the game in April that could have been the game to get you back in it but still you know in a 60 game sprint there is no hold, hold on let's wait let's reserve judgment it's go time from game one to, to 60 and every game truly does matter and it truly does deserve and warrant a reaction and it truly does deserve a conversation and that could be good for baseball to get more people talking about it rather than having people in April saying ah who cares it's only April this is something I definitely see both sides of I would say I'm more traditional in this respect where I think the reason that I love baseball so much is because uh and even watching it Mike Matheny's last three years the Cardinals missed the playoffs every time they missed it by no more than a game or two games. And you think back to all the times where, you know, Matheny might've brought in maybe the wrong guy or one person made an error. And you think if, you know, if, if maybe one or two of those could have gone our way, we'd be in the playoffs instead. Because when you think about it globally and when you think about it as a more casual fan, yeah, the first April, May doesn't really matter. But to me, it, it does like, cause it, it is a marathon. And, and I think it's one of the only sports that are like that. Cause obviously with football, you can, you can break everything down super specifically and, and every game and with it out of 16 is huge. But with baseball, it, it's one of the only things where I when, when in the middle of baseball season, if there's a night without baseball, I just feel a little off. And even through all of this, I've felt off cause it's been a constant, where, you know, if you have a bad day at work, you know, at least there's a Cardinals game to watch it tonight. And even if they lose, well, at least there's another game tomorrow. And I, I, I think the long season is what makes baseball so much fun. Now, that being said, I think you should love 2020 for what it's going to be. Uh, the sprint's going to be exciting and it's going to be fun. And every win is going to count as 2.3 wins and every loss is going to be 2.3 losses. I don't so, think you, yeah, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. So I, I think that you're right. I, I think that to me, shortening a season, maybe is cutting out like 10, 15 games, but ultimately they're making, they're making their money. They're not losing money by playing more games. And that's what matters. And, and you're right. I mean, being a baseball fan is an investment and you feel very rewarded after your investment in this team, you know, Kansas city has seen a world series champion and they've seen a super bowl champion now. And for one of them, you experienced, you know, 16 regular season Sundays and, and Thursdays uh, where you got such joy and excitement, and that was awesome, duh. And then for the other, you got 162 days and nights of, of entertainment, of fulfillment, of civic pride. So there is a part of that that does matter. I think that you're absolutely correct of just the longevity of baseball and having someone, uh, something there for you to look forward to and there for your community to to run to for a longer and sustained period of time. And then 
it does feel so much worth it when you've made it past the marathon and then you make it past just the wildness of baseball's postseason where it's unlike anything other than hockey where anyone can win it. It doesn't matter what, how you got in. Just as long as you're in, you can win it no matter what happened. Yeah, just like hockey, you never know how the ball is going to bounce. And the other thing with baseball is sample size is such an important part of it, which as an engineering nerd myself, if a game was, and I know you're talking about only 15, like a 140, 150 game season, but the more sample that you have, the better you can evaluate what the players are. Um, and, and, and to me, making a smaller sample just I, I don't want to I, – I mean, if you're going to shorten the season, drastically shorten the season. You know what I mean? I, I don't see the, the benefit of 140 games over 160. You know what I mean? If you're going to shorten it, go down to 100. And I'm not advocating for that, but I, I just – if it's a minimal change, then that just seems like it's, it's hurting the sample size. So, Matt, this was awesome. I appreciate you hopping on. This has been great. Tell them where they can find your work and where they can find you on Twitter and all that good stuff. Yeah, my Twitter is uh, – Maddie Ice underscore 99 and uh, it's at FS Redbird Rants is our Twitter or redbirdrants.com. This was awesome. Thank you for hopping on talking about Mike Matheny and talking about this upcoming season. Yeah, thanks for having me. Be good and be good to one another. We'll see you next time on Locked On Royals.